You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. 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 To the Freedom Pact. Today on the show, we are joined by Eric Salzenstein. This is a guy that is a clear, clear example of how you can turn your life around, of how you can recover from devastation, quite literally. Eric is someone that battled drug addiction, anxiety, and greed. His life has spiraled out of control, and way back when, Eric found himself in a courtroom in which he was sentenced to four years in prison. Whilst he was there, Eric made the decision, and the keyword here is decision, to turn his life around. He spent his time reading books, which were recommended to him by his brother, who is very successful, so he also had that pressure to deal with. When Eric started to make these changes in his life, like he literally said, I'm going to walk a different way. It's just crazy how you can do it, how you can rewire your brain if you just make the decision. In this podcast, we go over whether going to prison makes you more successful with women. We go over Eric's ROCK, R-O-C-K acronym that allowed him to turn his life around. We go over how you may be living in a prison without physically being inside a prison. And we also go over how Eric turned his life from prison to prosperity. This is a great conversation and Eric is a complete legend and we sincerely hope that you enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Eric Salzenstein. Eric, such a pleasure connecting, man. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Appreciate you guys having me on. Looking forward to it. Pleasure, man. So I want to actually start this conversation off in a different kind of way. I've listened to all your other interviews and we think that we'd like to just start off on like a different path. We've had quite a few people on the show that have had a path similar to yours. They're very entrepreneurial. Some of them have gone down one or two different routes. Some of them have ended up in jail. It's a topic we'll cover today. But when we were talking about earlier, the one thing which we noticed was that every single guest we've had that has been to jail, the women that they always have around them are always the <laughs> are always unbelievable. Has you noticed the correlation between the women in your life and uh, them liking the story of the bad boy? <laughs> so you're definitely the first to ask this question, 100%. <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting this, uh, but yeah, let's ride it out. Uh, it's definitely, uh, yeah, it's shown up for sure. So the bad boy image or whatnot, you know, especially the 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 turnaround. So it's one thing to have, you know, you went down this this dark path and you've been 
through this, you know, went to prison and, and been through this experience. But then when they hear about the turnaround, I think it's that much more impactful. So yeah, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely shown up since, uh, since getting out for sure. <laughs> I love it. I hear Jordan Peterson talking on a different episode saying the women want a, they want a nice guy that secretly deep down is a monster very that mi- control that, the monster yeah that mystery that little you know that image for sure so i see that 100 <laughs> percent. man amazing so so if you want hey so if you want a girl i mean if you if you want the girls to flock to you just go to prison for a couple years <laughs> and you're gonna be good to go right <laughs> man i mean you know i'm single now so i mean maybe i'll have to consider it <laughs> <laughs> so let's dive into your to your uh, story, Eric. So yeah. I'd love to start off right at the beginning. So we'll work our way through in like a chronological order. So I'd love to know, I've heard you talk about you have this athletic background. I think you've talked about that it may run in your family with your brother being professional in tennis, I believe. So could yeah. you just take us back, take us back to where it all began on the story, maybe the early years. Yeah. So growing up for me, I was, I definitely came from an athletic background. My mom, she taught me God, dad taught me sports. So I grew up a Catholic household, went to a private Catholic school here in Orlando, Florida. And sports was, I mean, that was my bread and butter, right? It was like that positive outlet that, that I had that I can turn to. And growing up, one thing I noticed that I always wanted to have was kind of that center of attention. I wanted the spotlight on me. And when I didn't get it in a positive way, through sports, I would act out, class clown, like I would get it in a negative way, right? And then going into middle school, another big thing for me was that entrepreneurial spirit got tapped into. Because again, looking for that spotlight, I started selling candy, I started selling CDs. And I mean, I had like the color coded, like full catalog, you could buy the upgrades, I had the upsells there for you, like, and I'm, I'm, I'm in sixth grade, right? So um, and you know, getting into high school, still playing sports all through middle school, uh, started tapping into the entrepreneurial spirit, got into high school. And this is where things kind of took a turn because selling candy and CDs isn't really a cool thing to do when you're, when you're, you know, in high school. Right. And so, um, at this point I had started dabbling, smoking a little weed, you know, drinking on the, on the weekends or whatnot with, with the friends and, um, the thing for me was I had already been exposed to some of this stuff because when I was playing basketball at a younger age, I was, I was, I was, again, I was fairly, fairly good. I was playing up two grade levels. So I was hanging out with eighth graders, you know, a couple li- grades above me when I was in sixth grade. So I had already been exposed to this stuff. So in ninth grade, I, I basically just hit the ground running. And so when my friends new, new friends, I was meeting in high school or whatnot, they started, we started smoking. My mindset was right away. Like, and I didn't even look at it. Like this wasn't even a big option for me. It was, Hey, if I'm going to smoke this, I might as well sell it. It was basically as easy as of a decision as when I said I was going to sell candy for some extra money. It, it was, there was for me at least, which is when you look back at that, it's like, why, what, why didn't I weigh that? Like what, what was it about my personality or what, what it, that I didn't put this, like, this is kind of a big decision. But I just went right in, and basically that's where it all slowly but surely started going uh, downhill. Was uh, was that decision right there? So, at what age is this roughly? By you? this is fourteen years old. Mm. So yeah. you're around fourteen years old. You're playing up a couple of levels in sports. So I imagine with that comes the sort of maybe even an ego. It brings about that sort of star status. You must have been obviously looked about, you know, quite 
or being very well respected for that, I mean, at your own age. Do you think that that played a factor in what followed on afterwards? Man, I think ego plays a factor in just about everything, you know? And and when you're younger, I mean, you, you don't look at it. Like, again, for me, it was all about just having that spotlight, you know, being being like respected and liked by all my peers and being cool. Like, I put so much weight on what everyone else thought around me uh, about me and how I, you know, what I was doing and, if, you know, fitting in and uh, standing out. Like, that was just such a big driver for me. And, freshman year I actually decided at that at that time I broke my dad's heart man at that time I decided I was going to stop playing basketball and basically go all in on in so many words selling you know selling drugs right I I mean I was like I, I went from sports to just social life like that was the big switch that I had and you know my parents are great people loving parents but they never taught me life skills I was never taught goal setting. I was never taught, you know, creating a vision for yourself. I was never, you know, what's in the future. It was always very day to day for me. And like I said, my mom, any anything that ever came up, it was go to God. And then my dad was sports. So when I quit playing sports and I was already not, you know, given resistance about going to church on Sunday, like, man, I was just in my own world at this point. And I really turned to my peers and that social acceptance and, and just being in that world. That was like. That became my everything. Eric, how do you define shiny object syndrome? And in what way did this have an effect on your life personally? Great question. Yeah. Yeah, Lewis. So I'd say shiny object syndrome is seeing something that a lot of times I think it has to do with instant gratification versus delayed gratification. So shiny object syndrome in many cases, I think, is we think we're going to get this Boom, something like this is going to be easy. You know, I'm going to uh, I'm going to create some online shopping cart and I'm going to be a millionaire in the next, you know, you know, I'll be making 100K in the next uh, one month. Right. Like whatever the case is, you see this in business all the time in the entrepreneurial world, like that next thing that's just going to and we jump from thing to thing without really diving in and, and practicing the principles and learning. And, and so I think a lot of shiny object syndrome is just wanting that instant gratification instead of being willing to work and build something of, of substance. So if we link this back now, so you've just talked about you've gone against the grain, you've sort of disappointed your father in that route, and you've now decided, okay, I've dabbled in this sort of thing, I've got entrepreneurial tendencies, if I'm doing it, then I may as well start selling it. Yeah. So what unfolds from there then, Eric? Uh, so what did you say? You were around 13. So what are the next sort of 10 years of your life look like from this point? Yeah. So I just kept going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Um, and it, it all started with just weed. Uh, but it basically grew into something that, I mean, I was selling to other kids at other high schools. Uh, as I was going up in class, I was getting people underneath me to sell. So I had kind of like this uh, you know, pyramid marketing sort of Build thing going empire, on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, man, I, and it was like, I didn't look, I, I truly looked at it like I was running a business. That's in my mind. My thought process was always like, it's just weed. It's not a big deal. Like I'm already smoking it. Everybody's smoking it. Like why, why do I, why can't I be the one to make a little money on the side? Right. And I remember at one point I even tried to convince my parents what I was doing was okay. Like I'm an entrepreneur type of thing. And, uh, they definitely weren't having it, but so I went all through high school um, in that in that space, and then post high school, I got introduced to 
the we had we had like a pill epidemic that swept through Florida. Was this called uh, the Oxycontin we, or the Oxy Express? Yeah, that's yeah. it. So yeah, that uh, we we had the documentary, the big one, the well known one is the Oxycontin Express. I think the Oxy Express or Oxycontin Express. So we had we had this thing that just swept through Florida. Doctors were passing out these painkillers like they were candy man and so the markup on it was incredible and I, I didn't know anything about these somebody brought this to, to me and said hey would you you know would you be interested and I looked at the numbers and I was just like oh man absolutely and I had no idea that was the decision that was again like one of those another just big decision that I just didn't weigh and it was more of instant gratification I'm gonna be making a lot more money now you know, this is the new, you know, new big thing. And I jumped right in. And this was what really took me down because I became addicted to these things. And, and my entire life became, I mean, it, 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 this consumed me, right? My entire life was ran by my phone, uh, by the next call that was coming in, by the visit that I had scheduled to go to the doctor each month or the doctors each month. And of course, feeding my dependency, right? My addiction that that was that was getting me through each day. So, like this was just like a vicious cycle that was closing in on me, um, and that went from age uh, eighteen up to twenty, uh, late twenty-two. So, so it, when you think back to that time, can you remember what your motivations were? Was it just simply money? It was money. It was definitely um, a, like the addiction was driving things as well. So it was the drugs themselves, it was money, but we can't forget that base desire that I had at a young age. That was still playing a big part. I love the feeling of being wanted and needed by my peers. My phone would ring, that was a high. People needed me, they depended on me. That, 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 that was something that I was also feeding. So that, that, that was a big uh, contributor for sure. A few of our guests we've had on have, have spoken openly about their experience with addiction and everyone's experience is different what, what was your personal experience life like with it um, and what did you learn about it and what did you learn about yourself from it yeah so for me i think the big thing was i was fooling my own self because because like i because i was making a, a good amount of money uh day in and day out i was thinking that i was like this like i was in upper echelons like i was I wasn't at the, but really my addiction was horrible. Like I couldn't go and live throughout my days without these pills, you know, Xanax to calm my nerves, the painkillers that I built up this top. I mean, like it was, my world was closing in. Like I had lost my freedom long before that day when I actually got sentenced in the courtroom for sure. I was already in my own prison, but because I had, you know, money or whatever you want it, because, because of this fast-paced lifestyle that was happening, I fooled myself into thinking that I was doing okay, that I wasn't as bad as you know some of the people that I was selling the pills to. So yeah, that, I think that's a, a unique part of my that my my uh, my thought process was during those years. Do you know what's interesting is when we've spoken to people that have had some sort of a similar path to you, they may have wound up in various social circles. And they may have gone down the path of jail. We've interviewed quite a few people now that have been there. What we find interesting is that the people that turn their life around, what we find is that it's essentially like a flywheel, but in the same way that it can be positive and it can be negative. Because you make one, say, uh, decision which could have a harmful effect on you or your life. 
and then you'll probably make another one and another one and then the wheel just keeps turning but in the same way you can make the yeah you can go the other way yeah was that your experience as well yeah, it was a series of uh, – so I gave you so far two big decisions. That first decision to start selling weed, the second decision to start selling pills. Like those were two big decisions in my life. There was a series of small decisions throughout that on – you know, I brought in a lot of other different drugs than just those two things, that, you know, here and there and just doing different things. But it was all moving me deeper and darker and nothing positive. Getting to prison, sentenced to four years, starting that journey – same thing. We're looking at the want the big decision. All right, I want to change, right? All right, I'm done. I'm going to do whatever it takes to change my life. Big decision. And then it was a series of small decisions and small steps over and over again. And slowly, momentum changed. It shifted. And now we're going in the other direction. Just so our audience can get the, the most out of your story, um, as we're describing it, I want them to get a sort of a, a feeling for it. And um, during the process of, of getting sent down, <clears throat> if you could, could you describe what the process of that was like and what it was like for you on the inside and how it inf- affected you and, and your family at the time, I guess? Yeah, I mean, you can imagine my parents. So I was facing life in prison. I was arrested for uh, armed robbery. Uh, the, it was labeled as a drug deal gone bad. And um, in in the state of Florida, that charge holds a maximum sentence of life and a minimum sentence of three years, right? So if you're found guilty, you're going to go away for minimum three, max, they could give you life. That normally would happen if you have prior offenses, uh, serious offenses. That, that's when they're just like, all right, we're going to, he's, he's done, he's out. So this was the first time I had gotten in serious trouble. So we knew I wasn't, I, I wasn't going to get that amount, of, like I wasn't going to get life. But we didn't know what I was looking at. The state wasn't working with us. And you can imagine my parents and coming from, you know, middle class, suburban Orlando, Florida, like my, my mom was devastated. My dad, I mean, they were embarrassed. They, you know, they knew what I was up to. They knew what I was doing. I just don't think they thought it was going to, you know, I don't, I don't think we, none of us knew, right. It was just like hoping for the best that I would maybe one day just get out of it or like wake up or something. And so now I'm, I'm sitting in county jail waiting to go to trial and, you know, my back's against the wall. Like it's happening. This is – and I, I'm thinking I ruined – I think I ruined my, – my life's over. I'm done. I'm like complete despair. I'm at the bottom of bottom. I'm sitting in my cell just like, you know, under my blanket at nighttime just questioning like why did I do this? What? Like why? 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 Like why me? Why? Just – and so lost, so scared, so confused. And um, we ended up catching a real big, big break in the case. Um, the state prosecutor, who wasn't working with us at all, who uh, she ends up quitting. She get she gets married. She quits. The new state prosecutor that comes in was a public defender way back in the day with my attorney. They were both public defenders with each other way back in the day before they had started on you know at the start of their careers. And so they're like friends. And this was huge. And uh, basically, he says, "I can't give your client." the minimum, which is the three years, but I'm going to offer him one year over. We're going to offer him four years. That's what the state offered me. And my attorney looked at me and says, if you don't take this, he's like, I'm walking. You're going to have to hire someone else. Like, cause this is as good as it's going to get. So I remember telling my dad in County jail, like, all right, let's do this, man. I want to, and this was before we actually got the sentence. I told him, I said, I want to do whatever amount of time I need to change my life. 
I had come to terms that I was going away. I, I came to terms with well, like what what was about to happen and what I was going to step into. And I got on the phone with them. I remember this call. So like just I'm ready to do whatever amount of time I need to do. God wants me to do to change my life. Not a day earlier, not a day later. And it was like two weeks later that we got we got offered that four years. And so that's where the uh, that's where the journey began, man. Right there. So how old are you when you got sent down? Twenty three. You're twenty three. And what's interesting is when I listen to uh, your story, Eric, you describe this sort of Jekyll and Hyde relationship with in your family, where your brother is like this like rock star, uh, and you were the the sort of the black sheep of the family. So I could yeah. I, from that I could imagine you know your what your parents would be thinking. But I'd love to know. Um, if we just focus on the jail experience for a minute, what was, say, the first year, two years? When did you really start to... Could you just talk us through the the actual journey through jail and then what eventually, you know, led to you turning your life around? Yeah, so, you know, you, you get in this new world. Like, jail's one thing. It's like that holding tank. So everybody's waiting to go to court. Everybody's waiting to get sentenced. Um, I got sentenced, got on a bus with maybe like 15, 20 other uh, inmates and we're all getting shipped from County jail in Orlando. We're all getting shipped to go up North Florida. It's like a six hour drive. We're in a bus. We're shackled up two two per seat. My shackles connected to his going from the ankles up to the wrists. Um, and six hour bus ride, like so uncomfortable and just you're, you're driving towards something that you have no idea. You know, a lot of these guys in the bus, they've been to prison before. This is my first time I have no idea what I'm stepping into. I've heard the stories, you know, a couple uh, older, you know, older school inmates put me on some game. Hey, you're going to expect this. Stay away from, you know, kind of gave me a little rundown. But this is my first. So I remember pulling up to this facility and the outside they've got like the gardening's done and like there's they got flower beds like welcome to home CI, Homes Correctional Institution. And I'm like, Oh man, like this, uh, I was like, this place is like, what, like this doesn't even look at all like what I thought, what I imagined. But then you, you go in and as you get down and you kind of go past the, 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 the start of it, it's just barbed wire, brick buildings. It is nothing on the inside like that. Everything's worn down and just like, oh man, okay, now I see like, you know, that's the visit, that's where the visitors are, right? The visitors only see that little area right at the top, right at the, right when you come in. Um, and so, Starting this journey, I get into this place and I'm shell shocked, man, because I'm in this new environment, this new world, and this place is everything that you've ever seen any documentary say it is. It, it, you know, action movies sometimes they'll exaggerate those those scenes like that could never happen in real life. Prison movies are probably the only type of movies that they they don't exaggerate; they underplay it. Because it's too much to show, like everything that's. I mean, it, it's just, um, it's really, man, it's shocking how people are living in there and what they're. It's just so getting in there and having to kind of basically adapt, right? You're, si- I'm sitting back, I'm just watching. One of the big things you always want to do is just your observation skills have to be. You just gotta, you just gotta watch. You gotta observe people. You gotta listen real good and hear and how people are talking to each other. Your neighbors you know, what they're saying, what they're up to. And you, and you can never get in people's business, but you, for your own safety and, and you have to know what's going on around you. You have to know about the people around you, how they're moving, what they're doing, who to stay away from. And so the first like two weeks, I'm just processing. I'm like li- just taking everything in. I'm just observing, um, having very small conversations. 
Uh, but then you get adjusted. And at this point now, it's like, you know, at this point, you're, you have to kind of, how are you walking? How are you moving? Who are you associating with? Who are you talking to? What are you up to? And the big thing for your listeners I want to I wanna share here, this is one of the biggest takeaways that I got from prison. If we go back to that phone call um, with my dad in county jail, I said to him, I said, I want to do whatever it's going to take to change my life. I had the intentions. So our listeners right now have the intention to go to the gym, right, and drop to 20 pounds, get shredded, you know, get the muscles. They have the intentions to write the book, start the online business. They have the intentions to uh, kick the habit, step, you know, step into a greater self, kick up the self-care, like all these intentions, fix the relationship. These are great intentions, but if you don't have a blueprint, if you don't have a game plan in place, what ends up happening is we, we just go back to what we know. That's why there's so many dead and lost uh, what are they called? New Year's resolutions. Because there was never a, the intention was there, the thought was there, but there was no game plan in place to make that happen. And so we revert back to our means. We go back to what we know. And it took maybe two weeks, week and a half before I did not have a game plan in place. And so basically I got, I started getting eaten up. I started like, you know, people were persuading me over here and I was now over here. I was definitely hanging out with people I shouldn't have been hanging out with. And I started smoking cigarettes and then I started selling cigarettes. And I'm, I'm, I'm now doing the exact same behavior that I was doing on the streets, except now in prison. And I'm taking a cigarette and cutting it up into eight pieces and selling each piece for a dollar. Like what, 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 what am I, what's going on? Like, what am I doing? And I justified my actions by saying, man, I got to help my parents out. I'm going to be here for four years. So I'm going to sell a little something on the side just to help them out. Like if, if they knew that I was doing that, they'd be heartbroken. But I was, uh, that's what that behavior was comfortable to me. So I, I figured a way to justify it, make myself feel comfortable. Keep going. We will justify our behavior. That's hurting us we'll constantly do that. Right. We'll do it in our businesses. We'll do it in our relationships. We'll do it in our personal life. And we, and then we, and we stay stuck. So big, big takeaway is you have to have a blueprint. And uh, wrapping this point up, I got to the six-month mark. It was six months. And I had gotten just had gotten to a fight. And this is when I basically woke up. I, I, had, I had this moment of like, Eric, what are you doing? You're going to throw this entire four years away. You're going to come out the exact same person if you don't wake up. And so I called my brother. There's that Jacqueline Hyde you had mentioned. I called my brother. I was like, dude. I don't know what I'm doing here. Like I need some help. And he's like, I have no, I said, I have no idea how to change. And so he's like, I want you to read two books. He sent me two books. He's like, after that, we're going to do a coaching call a week from here on out and I'm going to help you. And so, um, that was when we, we created a game plan and I was off to the races, man. That's when, that's when those, you know, small decisions and small steps really started to build momentum and the changes, uh, started to happen. What were the two books? Yeah, uh, Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within, and uh, Timothy Ferris, The 4-Hour Workweek. And I don't think it's any coincidence that he sent me a personal development and like an entrepreneurial uh, book, which I thought was really cool that he did that. Because I would think in my situation, Timothy Ferris, The 4-Hour Workweek, like delegating tasks and outsourcing tasks, like that's not something I needed to read at that time. But uh, he thought it was, and I'm so, like so happy that those those are the two books. But yeah, that's... <laughs> Can you remember any of the, the major takeaways in which you had? Because I can imagine you have a lot of free time in in 
prison so i can imagine that just you're just mentally processing everything like every every line i imagine is probably like gospel for you at that point yeah i've got um i don't think i have them in uh arm's reach here i've got uh composition books filled with notes so what i was doing was i was averaging a book a week and i was writing notes on like i wasn't highlighting i was writing notes each chapter each book and it was just a way i wanted to really i wanted to retain as much information as i could and um and and man i was setting up i had a mastermind group i didn't even know what a masterminds were before like while i was in prison but i set up a mastermind while i was in prison uh it was uh we did john john maxwell's the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership each week for 21 weeks i ran a leadership thing for a couple guys in the dorms and um so we i was morning meditations um one big thing I, I'll share with you, it was really cool. So I recognized, I, I started getting into meditation and thoughtfulness and vision. And um, I recognized I could never meditate in this environment because it was always so loud. 70 people in a dorm, it was just, it wasn't doable. And so at nighttime, you're laying down, it's just, you're tired from the day. And so I made this change and we wake up for chow at 4.30 in the morning every day. All right. So 4.30 in the morning, we go to chow. They call chow. You know, we all go out, go to chow. And um, when we come back, first counts not till seven. So everybody basically goes to sleep. Right. And our day room, the day rooms, we have the two card tables. You got some benches. You got the TV. That's when the day rooms open at, you know, that's where sports games are being watched. Dominoes and cards are, you know, uh, being played. And I, I'd go in the day room right after chow. I'd be the only one in there. And that's where I'd meditate. And I would, I did that, man, two straight years. I was, I was on that. And that was huge for me. That was definitely uh, another uh, step, right? That added up with the consistency of that. It was a compounding effect that played, I know that played a big, big role in everything. What are the biggest benefits you've seen <clears throat> from meditation? And, and is that a practice you still carry out now or to even more of an extent than you once did? I wish I could say that uh, I have been one of the things that I'm actually it's funny right now self care is something that I'm being really present about. So this is actually something that I recognized two to three weeks ago. I said, Eric, you've been so focused on your business. You've been so focused on adding value to other people's lives. You've been so focused to your performance based on other people. You've neglected where this all started and how you're able to get to this place in the first place, which was for four years, or I should say three and a half years, self-care and self-love and meditation, all this stuff, it wasn't for me to perform better for other people. It was for me to perform better and change as, as a person. It was for my personal growth. And getting out, I was still meditating and I, was, I still had, you know, I had my morning routine, but I recognized you know, I've been out for two years and I think five months now or so, I recognize, especially as things started to pick up, I recognized that I was doing these things no longer for myself. I was doing them so I could perform better in my, in my business, which I guess you could say it's for me, but really my thought process wasn't like, Eric, you need this. Take this time because you love yourself and, you, and this, is, this is what's important. It was always to perform better for others. 
And so in the last couple of weeks, this is a big thing. I, and I said, all right, so these last two weeks of 2019, I'm really stepping into self-care again. And for the, for the purpose of self-care, of my, the love for myself and wanting to be better and show up better, which in turn will allow me, of course, to show up better for my clients, my audiences, and the people I come in contact with. Um, but yeah, so, so it's, it's something that's been definitely a, a roller coaster. It's been, it's been its own thing. Um, but it's, it's one of those things you just recognize it. And if, if you're thinking that you're lacking, if you're thinking, Hey, you know what? I, I don't know what meditation would do for me. Like try it out and, and, and take it small two minutes, three minutes for a week. Every day you do a three minute meditation and work its way up from there. So, yeah. Going back to, to what we were talking about, I think, um, the number of convicts in the U S that get readmitted into jail after five years is 75.6 what do you think the prison system is is doing wrong in that regard and and why have you personally been able to avoid being part of that statistic yeah man it's um our our uh our prison systems they're just not set up for rehabilitation you've got to really want it you've got to really want it it's um you know i would never say I'm not going to say that every guard is is evil, is bad. I'm not like there's no I have no issue with authority, but a lot of the guards are they just don't they don't care about us at all. They look at us like we're animals, right? They're not there to help us. Um, a lot of you know, and and rightfully so to an extent because a lot of the inmates, you know, they 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 have a lot of time, and the way that they act out is puts the guards in a place that they give up. They're like even if they. Guards come in. There was there was an experiment. Um, Stanford. There's a documentary like the Stanford experiment or something where they like faked a prison downstairs in the basement, and they watched and they saw as these normal normal college students that had the roles and they were randomly selected inmate or guard, and they saw that the guards, the ones that were selected as guards, many of them like got abusive and really got into this role, and so um, you know it, it was. It was a pretty crazy documentary, and I, I mean, I lived that, and I saw that, and so that's our authority, right? So that's those are the people that should be trying to orchestrate or provide some sort of like, hey, like let's 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 give some options here, and you know, there there was things, there were there's classes, there's things there, but the entire system itself as a whole, it's just not set up for rehabilitation. It's sent to hold. It's sent to control and hold. And really break down, you know, break the person down like that. And so, and then you mix, you mix how the inmates are living with the violence and the, it's just a constant game of chess day in and day out. And, and so, um, yeah, it's just really tough conditions. I'd say the biggest thing for me is I, I, I created a vision for myself. Um, I developed some values and everything came back to, is this going to get me closer to my vision or take me away from it? That was like the big question. Is this going to take me closer or bring me away? Is this in alignment with my values or not? And when I made that decision and I switched over and I started gaining momentum from those small steps, man, it was like, I was just, I, I became obsessed with personal growth is basically what happened. I've heard you discuss values on quite a few other shows now so you really make me curious what is this specifically about being aligned with values and the importance of it and why is it so important for our values to be aligned with our mission yeah so the big thing with this is like it's like a moral compass so if your number one value is family but yet you are 
you're you're so obsessed, addicted. Like many of us are, you know, entrepreneurs, and not you don't even have to be an entrepreneur. It could be corporate life, just looking to rise in the ladder, right? But you you become so obsessed with like the growth of your business, or you know, getting that to that next level, that you're spending way more time and you're neglecting family, way more time on the business and you're neglecting family. So if your number one value is family and you know, and you're like that, you're at a, your, your values are conflicted there. So the big thing here is like when, when we have to make decisions on what to do, or should I go down this path? Should I take on this new uh, opportunity or challenge or whatever the case is, if you have some core values, integrity, uh, discipline, uh, family, you know, whatever, whatever they are for you, health. Um, if you have those in place and you know, and you know what those are at that point, you're, you can basically, when, when these things come at you, you can, okay, this is in alignment with my values. This is a good decision. If it's in alignment with three out of the four or, you know, whatever the, the number is for you, you can say, this is a good decision, take action on it. If it's not, then it's just a way of really maneuvering and using it as your moral compass and keeping you in check because we all know when we're veering off, right? We know when we're stepping outside where we should be. We know when we're, when we're not where we're supposed to be. And, and that, that's a slippery slope and, and, it, and it will snowball is basically what happens. It's interesting you talk about this because I went on a date, a couple of dates with this one girl and one of my values is punctuality. I, I like being on time. Yeah. And uh, the first time she was like 20 minutes late. And then the second time she was like 30 minutes late or something. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, see, I literally, I just said, I said, look, this is never in a million years ever going to work. You know, <laughs> that, did you, you know, did you, did you have that conversation with her? Oh, man. On the second, on the second time, I just said, look, this is, this is never in a million years going to work. You know, like I, if, if, if like the first, one time, I suppose you can understand, you right. know, so but you know, like like we said earlier, man, maybe I'm gonna have to go to jail for, for a couple of years. <laughs> so one thing I'd love to pick you up on is um, yeah. earlier you said um, that you're in this jail, and just linking it back to that Tony Robbins book, "Awaken the Giant Within." I know in that book Tony Robbins talks about the power of decision. I know that in the book he says, you know, that it's not uh, time or it's not uh, options that change your life. It's decision, the decision to end the relationship, the decision to start a business, the decision to tell someone you love them. So can you remember when you made that decision and how long did it take after that for you to really see substantial changes in your life, your mindset, your outlook? Yeah, so the decision was made in county jail, didn't have a game plan, fell completely off track, woke up at six months and just said, okay, I've got to take some intentional specific actions. That was basically like really stepping into that decision I made. Putting a game plan in place uh, was at that six month mark. And then it was just from there after making that decision, right? And following through with a game plan for it, right? And just like with health, if you're going to make a decision to lose 20 pounds, please don't think that you going to the gym three days a week is, is going to, I mean, man, that's just, you're, you're not, that's not a recipe to hit the mark. You know, we're going to have to talk about things like your nutrition. We're going to have to talk about things like what type of workouts you're doing. That's going to help you out. We're going to talk about cardio. We're going to have to talk about specific things that you're going to have to have in place. And so it's one, it's, it's make that decision for me. 
um, you know, when I did that, it was just a matter of now all my action steps were in alignment with that decision. Everything I was doing, the conversations I was having. I mean, I even at one point changed the way I physically was walking. I, I made it, I, I had said to myself, Eric, your future self is not going to walk like this. He's going to walk with his shoulders back, his head is up. He's going to look people in the eyes as they pass. He's going to smile. Like that's how he's going to walk. So I literally changed the way that I physically walked to go in alignment with, again, that decision that I'm going to change my life and I'm going to step into uh, a greater self. Eric, can you explain to our, <clears throat> to our audience what the R-O-C-K framework is and yeah. how it impacted your life and maybe how it can impact everyone's life? Yeah, absolutely. So the rock was developed while I was in prison. This was all about basically building your rock solid foundation. Uh, this was a speech that I, I actually used while I was in prison. Uh, this was the one I used in the speech competition, uh, which was really cool. I ended up getting published in a local newspaper while I was in prison for a speech contest. Uh, it was three prisons, uh, three of our, three different prisons competing here. Um, and so the rock was developed and, and again, all about creating your rock solid foundation to build on. And you can use this in all different areas of your life. So the R is kind of going back to that decision, like, raising the bar you have to consciously say to yourself that the level that you're playing at is no longer where you want to be you have to say that where you're currently at is no longer acceptable right you have to say if you've been operating at a seven for the last year you have to raise the bar consciously and say i'm going to be operating at an eight okay great that's awesome now what how does an eight operate what are the what are the things that the eights are doing out there in the world that that you and the rest of the sevens are not that's what we need to start adding into your 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 daily routine and your in your weekly and monthly routines, your quarterly re- routines, right? And so once you raise the bar and you step into that higher self, slowly but surely, one step at a time, what's going to happen is your thought processes are going to, you know, your old stories are going to come back, right? We've got these stories about ourselves that for whatever reason we've created that we're not good enough, we're not tall enough because I didn't go to prison. I can't land a bunch of girls. Like we've got these stories that like hold us back. And so what happens is you have to own your thoughts. O is all about owning your thoughts day in and day out. And this is that like, for me, I'm all for woo woo wah wah. Let's do it. Because when you step into that positive mindset and that frame, you're operating out a different, in a different way. People recognize that. People pick up on that. When I was in prison, people came to me. They said, man, especially especially probably like two and a half years in, once momentum and changes were really happening, people would come up and be like, yo, you, you're on a whole different wavelength, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you doing, bro? And people picked up on it because I was, I was walking in a positive mindset in the middle of a place where people are just like, this is just destructions all around, right? Despair and hurt and anger and pain is all around us. So that's such an example right there. And, and then since getting out, I've seen how having a positive mindset and showing up every day, day in, with, day in, day, day in and day out with that has affected how people talk to me, approach me, uh, work with me. And, and all that. So the second of the rock, it's, it's raise the bar. Then it goes into owning your thoughts. Um, the third one is all about the compounding effect. It's consistency in your efforts because you, you, you have to know that these things take time. For me, it took three and a half years while I was behind bars. Like that's what it took for me. So these things take time and you have to, you have to accept that. You have to be okay with that. Again, it goes back to that question you asked earlier, Lewis, like shiny object, shiny objects. 
um, instant gratification versus delayed gratification, right? And so many times we want that shiny object, we want that instant gratification, but there's not enough weight, there's not enough substance, and it's going to dissolve. So it's it's staying consistent in your efforts as you continue to to move up the ranks, right? Continue to grow as a person. And then the last one, going back to what we talked about a little earlier, uh, is the values, and that's the K, which is know your values, um, and, and and having these these four components in place and moving through life in this manner, uh, especially if this is all new to you. So if you're somebody who has has just who hasn't really, you know dealt with any of this stuff, hasn't learned about any of this stuff, hasn't spent any time uh, with this stuff. Like I was never taught any of these things before prison. I, I, had, I had no experience of this type of what we're talking about right here. So for me, like this was built and designed for people to give them the, the foundation, the foundational stuff that they need to grow on. And that's the rock for you. So we've got raise your standards, raise the bar, own your thoughts, uh, see was the consistency, and then the K was the know your values. You got it, man. So I find it so interesting that our brain, like like I said earlier, you know about the flywheel and what we've talked about. That as soon as that at the start is tough, right? You said it took three and a half years behind bars. That as soon as you can get that flywheel turning, and it can go either way. It can either you know be down the path of becoming uh you know uh building an empire selling drugs or it can also go the way of building an empire building a business and doing these amazing things what i find interesting is that it really can go either way because as you start turning it the healthy lifestyle leads to healthy habits and i know that you uh undertook health and fitness projects as well so this yeah. clearly shows like that as soon as the flywheel starts turning in that direction that it can apply to all areas so was it you can was it a bodybuilding show that you set yourself a goal? Yeah, it, yeah. So I I did. Yeah, I was. Um, let's see. I was about six months out uh, of prison, I think, and I had started lifting weights while I was in work release. So the last nine months of my sentence was spent at a work release center where they did have weights. They they don't have weights in prison like in the uh, uh, institutions. Uh, but when I got to the work release center, they did have weights. So I started lifting weights. I started seeing some changes. I had started really, I, I, I started studying and, you know, it just became an outlet for me, became a release for me. And when I got out, when I was, when I officially got out, I went and got a gym membership, continued to go down that, that, that path. And I realized like I was kind of going back to my sports days, except instead of sports, it was just weightlifting, right? It was just, just going to the gym. And, and, um, and so I recognized though I wasn't getting the changes I wanted. And that's when I reached out to a coach. Um, and I hired my first coach and I made a decision that I wanted to get on stage uh, and I wanted to compete. Uh, I did men's physique was the category I was in for, uh, for, the, for the competition. And so, um, yeah, man, I got on stage December of 2018 and placed fourth in my class. And it was an incredible experience. I was counting every macro I, 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 that went in my body for about 10 months. Um, maybe a little longer and it was just, it was, uh, it, we, we saw true transformation and it was, yeah, it was a journey. And I, I, the big thing there, man, is like, you, it's just a, it was a big challenge and I pushed myself and, and I learned a lot about myself at that time. Cause it was something I'd never done before. Uh, discipline definitely comes, it's, that's a huge word in that, in that game, in that space. Um, so that was a, that was a big win. That was a lot of fun for sure. When I, think back on this podcast and it's, it's been a great podcast one of the things that stuck out in my mind is when you said about 
you were in a prison long before you were actually in prison. Uh, I just wanted to know, could you expand on that and, and how, you know, I'm assuming this can apply to all of us, not just people who eventually end up in an actual prison. How do we... How do we see that prison? How do we know that we're in it before it's too late? So I think a lot of us construct our own prisons for, the you know, out of fear, right? That's not necessarily the right reason. But a lot of people will construct prisons out of safety. So this, is, this isn't for the wrong reasons, but they will construct a prison, their own prison of some sort, out of wanting to be safe and feel secure. And that very prison can keep us in a place that we're not really crazy about. Like we're not unhappy but we're not we're just kind of going through right that's the monotony of life that we hear about right just day in and day out and so we can construct our own prisons in many different ways and what i recognize for me is that we can be in prison without physically being in prison we can be chained down by our addictions and destructive habits we can be restricted by our fears and insecurities uh, we can be trapped by our limiting beliefs and negative mindset. These are things, you know, anger, uh, overindulging, overeating, oversleeping, overreacting. Like these are things that can confine us and trap us. Um, and and it's just a, it's just a matter of recognizing. It's just a matter of calling ourselves out and and basically just saying like this is an area that I want to improve in. Um, the most recent one for me is I recognized that I had been drinking anywhere, consuming anywhere from 400 to 600 milligrams of caffeine every day for the last six years. Like in prison, I was drinking three to four cups of coffee. Once I got out, it was, you know, coffee with espressos and then the pre-workout pre-workouts have like three, like my caffeine intake was just through the roof and I was feeling adrenal fatigue and I was just like, okay something's got to change here. Right. And so I made a decision. I'm right now six days, no caffeine. So this is something I, this is the most recent one for me, but, um, it's, it's just recognizing like what could, could, could potentially be confining us or restricting us from showing up as our best selves. And it doesn't have to be a big thing, just small change. I went down, I I took one cup off a day and then the second week I took two cups off a day and then the third week, you know what I mean? Like don't beat yourself up, but just recognize where you could improve. That's the big thing, right? Recognize where you could be potentially boxing yourself in and, and then take the, take the necessary action. We are the freedom pact. We are all about freedom from limiting beliefs, freedom from societal conventions and norms, freedom from the rat race. So, what I would love to ask you, Eric, is you spent just a little over three years in prison. In that sort of scenario, your time is, well, I suppose it could be your own in essence, because, I mean, you really had a lot of a lifetime in prison. You really, you know, reconstructed your character. But in the same sense that, tight, you know, you only had a limited amount of freedom in the sense that there were physical bars in front of you or, or a, a, a door. So I'd love to know, how do you view time now and and what were the lessons which is is led to you in terms of maybe what freedom really means to you now yeah well it's a great question i think for me it's being able to show up uh day in and day out and live the life that i want to live be able to control my actions and say, Hey, this is, this is again, going back to like, this is an area I want to make a change in and make a change. That's freedom. 
uh, being able to say, hey, I want to help this person out and add some value to this person's life, whether it's monetary, whether it's knowledge, whether it's uh, just some just some positive affirmations, that's freedom. You know, being able to it, it's it's being able to show up every day we wake up and we have a choice. How do we want to move today? Do we want to move with a positive mindset? And find gratitude even in the things that are challenging us and hurting us or causing us struggle and problems? Or do we want to bicker and be angry and upset and frustrated and let that energy show up, right? We have this choice each day. That's freedom. And um, I, I think just, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm a, I, I say uh, I'm a heart-centered alpha male. I'll say one thing. I love sunsets, a simple sunset. And I know this is corny or whatever, but like I I always take out, I constantly take pictures if there's a good sunset. And it's just like, it's just this moment. It's just free. It's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm present. I'm just enjoying life, the world around you. And I think, uh, I think for a lot of us, uh, especially if we have a fast paced lifestyle, we have to remember to do that and and just kind of slow down and, and just recognize all the little things and um, yeah, because I, I took so much for granted and I, I didn't recognize that till it was taken from me. So, so we move now into our final four questions that we've asked all of our 60 plus guests we've had on the show up to this point. The first one is, uh, Joe said we were a, a show rooted in freedom. We're also a show rooted in action. Our audience love taking action. Is there a challenge that you can issue to our audience something they can go away and and do today that is you know going to develop them as a person can you issue a challenge to us and our audience yeah absolutely so here's what i'd have you do um i'd have you categorize the let's say three biggest areas in your life that you want to put some focus in so it could be health one could be business um, and one could be like relationships. I want you to map. I want you to. And the reason why we do this is because we we want to separate them. We want to let your mind and we have to write this out. You got to put this on paper so you can visually see because we have all these categories in our lives. The problem is, is that when we don't like subcategorize them, it gets mushy. It gets too much. It gets overwhelming. Where do we start? It's it's so put it down on paper, map out three areas of your life that you want to see growth in for 2020. From those three areas, now pinpoint what specifically in those three areas do you want to achieve? Do you want to uh, take form? Do you want to make happen? What shift? What change uh, do you want to make happen? Write that out. All right. So it goes from the, the area to the intention, to the specific thing that you want to create. And again, it's a visual thing. So you have to write this out so you can visually see it. And then from there, I'm going to ask you, what's the very first step you can take in order to gain momentum in making that happen? And then write the first step out underneath that. So it goes from big to medium to more pinpoint like first action step. Uh, But this is a very powerful exercise um, just by you writing this stuff out, just by you putting this on paper, you're going to gain some clarity. You're going to gain some confidence. You're going to feel better just by writing it out, let alone once you actually start moving in it. That's great. That's a great exercise. So the two books that you mentioned earlier, Awaken the Giant Within and The 4-Hour Work Week. I'm so curious, are there any other books that you've oh, read yeah. which have had a great impact on your life? <laughs> I don't know if it's around me right now. Um, yeah, man, the uh, man, 
this is that for some reason when people ask me about books my mind always goes blank um it's just like i have the hardest time like thinking and going to um but um yeah let's see um uh what is it small habits um by james clear atomic uh, habits atomic, atomic habits, habits yeah. by james clear that that's an awesome read uh really recommend that that's for sure um you know if you want to do some classics like napoleon hill any of his books uh you'll net you're just not think and grow rich uh you're not going to go wrong with um if you haven't uh, let's see um i think it's candelini influence uh, there's a book called Influence. That's that's a really good read. Yeah, I'll stop there. I, I don't know. This is like the one question. I need to do better. I need to have some other like books in my pocket that I really like because my mind just goes blank on books when people ask me about books. Man, you're not the first person to say that. I don't know I don't know why that question throws it throws so many people off when yeah. you ask them. Yeah. I uh I suppose people would laugh at me asking this next question. Um but we ask it to everyone. Are there any societal rules or societal norms that you love to break? Hmm. Societal rules or societal norms. Ah, oh, man. I speed. Yeah. Like, I, I like to drive fast. Like, not crazy. Like, I'm not irresponsible. And, like, I'm not the guy that's cutting everybody off like speed racer like but i do like when i've got the stretch and i'm on the highway like yeah i've got a little bit of a lead foot so we may have to cut that out because we don't want you being in the uh statistic. yeah for real yeah man so our last question to you today before we ask you to introduce you and your uh your tags and your social media and your website and stuff to, to our audiences let's imagine a scenario in which every person hypothetically was tuned into the same frequency and unfortunately you haven't got long left to live your time is running out but based on your life your truth to this point everything which you've been through you can impart a short but impactful message to every person listening based on your truth what would eric Salzenstein's message to the world be. I appreciate you uh, saying that name right. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's just a matter of that you change is possible. Like that there is power in change and you do not have to feel stuck. You do not have to continue on in, in living in, in, in a way that you are not completely fulfilled with. And um, the change that you want may not happen overnight. But if you truly want it, if you truly want to and you desire something better, something different, um, there is power in change and it's very, very possible. You just have to start taking action. Uh, one of the big things I say is small steps create huge momentum and in turn creates the big changes, the huge changes, small steps. Eric, this has been an insanely inspiring and powerful conversation. I've loved every minute of it. I know Joe has too. Where can our Freedom Pact audience and family connect with you on social media and more? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you guys, uh, any of our listeners, if you're looking to bring on a speaker, I uh, primarily uh, speak in, a, in our youth, uh, middle and high schools, colleges, uh, but definitely open to talking anywhere I can add value. If you if you think my story could, could, uh, could add value to your audience, to your team, please reach out to me. I think the easiest way is just social media, sending me a direct message. Of course, you can apply 
uh, on my website at ericsalzenstein.com. Um, so if you are looking for a speaker, please let me know. And then in regards to uh, coaching, same thing. I'm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to show up for uh, for the people in my life, for my clients, for my audiences. So I definitely want to invite you to follow me on uh, Instagram. Uh, it's at Salzenstein is my handle. Uh, and Facebook is Eric Salzenstein. So um, I'm here to serve, here to show up for you. And I appreciate your time today. And uh, Lewis, Joe, you guys are awesome, man. Really appreciate what you're doing. So it's been uh, been an honor to be on the show. Eric, man, we can't thank you enough. You're, you are the only guest that's ever reached out to us. And we probably get for 10, 15 people reach out to us a week asking to come on the show. But you are the only guy that has ever reached out to us and that, that has made it fast, man. Because I love work, it, man. And, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, man. You know, we've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you, and uh, there's been so much value in this in this conversation. We've definitely learned a lot. So, man, we're grateful for you for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, man, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Freedom on, man. Let's live free, baby. <laughs>